You're listening to Drek FM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Literary Treks, our books and comics discussion show. And I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, knower of all things in Trek literature, Matthew Rushing. Hey, Matthew, how are you doing this week? Well, Chris, I'm not going to lie, it was a depressing weekend. Um, 49ers lost the Super Bowl, but we're not going to talk about it anymore. So that's why my voice went down as I asked you that question because you know I, I knew that for you it was a tough, it was an up and down game. You know, we talked a little bit on Twitter, yeah, talked a little bit on iMessage, and um, even the big Star Trek Into Darkness promotion didn't pull you out of it at the end. You know, it almost helped though. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness promo. Uh, Almost allowed the 49ers to engineer one of the greatest comebacks in uh, Super Bowl history. When you get to the five-yard line and you can't score, you know you got issues. So, uh, disappointing. But, uh, hey, honestly, uh, I think we're going to have a great year next year. And let's not forget, things in the future, they turn out pretty well for San Francisco. You know, it's the home of Starfleet Command. And I think what you need to do is to prepare, is you need to grab this first book that we have up in news. It's the Star Trek Cross-Stitch, Explore Strange New Worlds of Crafting book. And I think that you should combine your San Francisco 49ers with San Francisco Starfleet Command and, you know, put together a nice cross-stitch. Man, put those two logos together. Man, that would be really nice. Kind of put that... San Francisco 49er oval behind, you know, the Delta Shield and maybe put a nice, you know, SF over the Delta Shield on top of that. Wow, we this is a good idea, Chris. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if this pattern is really in the book or not, but it should be. Well, I figure that if I can do every pattern in this book, then by the time that's done, I'll be good enough to create my own patterns. I mean, this, this uh, book is going to have patterns like being able to cross-stitch on a pillow, Kronos, sweet Kronos, uh, you know, <laughs> right. making sure that each of your dish towels is sufficiently in, embroidered with cross-stitching of your favorite Star Trek characters. I mean, this is just going to have a whole new dimension of geekdom to kitchens and bathrooms everywhere. You know, what I find interesting about this book coming out is that for me, it sort of symbolizes the resurgence of Star Trek that we're seeing because we used to have books like this, crafts and such that were Star Trek related in the past and things kind of died down for a long time. Suddenly we're seeing all of these things, you know, the sticker books, we're seeing the visual dictionary. Now we've got this cross-stitch book coming out. It's kind of exciting, actually. I'm so glad that Star Trek has had a resurgence in in non-fiction books, um, 
you know, something as you just said, it's been lacking for a long time. There used to be a lot of these kind of things. In fact, I don't know if I should share this or not, but I'm going to. I did just buy some Star Trek fabrics to turn into pillowcases. So I'm very excited about that. I just got them in the other day. They look fantastic. In fact, um, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with book news. But if you are looking for some Star Trek fabrics, Joanne's Fabrics has an excellent selection right now. Uh, Really cool fabrics. So if you just can't get enough of Star Trek and you want to be sleeping on it all night, this is the way to go. All right. And, And that, by the way, is not a paid promotion. That's simply Matthew letting you know that he wants to sleep with Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to enhance that with cross-stitch, you can do that if you pick up this book. And this is going to come out on May 28th. And uh, I believe it's already available for pre-order at Amazon if you want to get your hands on it and uh, have it sent to you as soon as it's available. All right. So... Matthew, what else do we have up in news? Very short news today. Yeah, just a short thing, but I saw this and it's coming out on April 16th and I thought that this would be uh, something great because right after that, was it April 30th, the Next Generation Blu-ray discs season three are going to be coming out. So you're going to want this book, Star Trek Classic Quotes, The Next Generation. Um, So this way you can be up on your Star Trek quotes from the next generation. You can be blowing everyone away on Twitter with uh, coming up with the best random quotes from the next generation. This is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Uh, It's going to cover the entire series um, commemorating the 25th anniversary of the first episode. Uh, So this is going to be a lot of fun. What's your favorite quote from the next generation? Are there any that you remember that have just always stuck with you over the years? I am not to marry man. <laughs> of course, yeah, that that's one of the most classics. Yeah, it, yeah, Worf. It doesn't get much better than him. Do you have a favorite though, Chris? Hmm, as a single quote, kind of tough. Mine tend to be longer, and, and there there's some discussions, uh, especially in All Good Things, the discussion between Picard and Q at the end. So if you if you boil it down to just a quote, it would be all good things must come to an end. But of course, that's not really a Star Trek quote. I think another one of my favorites is is uh, it's from yesterday's Enterprise, I believe, with Picard saying, "Let's make sure history never forgets the name Enterprise." I think that's a really good quote. Um, kind of sums up the just the feeling of the series uh, and how it. It encapsulated the idea that the Enterprise name is never going to be forgotten because there's always one around, you know, plenty of letters left in the alphabet. I was going to say, I was just about to say, that reminds me of one I love from First Contact when he tells Beverly that there are plenty of letters left in the alphabet. You know, I'm kind of hoping this will cover the movies too because I really like the quote in Generations as well when Picard is talking about time and how he says he rather thinks of time as a friend who goes along with us on the journey reminding us that, you know, these moments will never come again. And I love that quote. And I actually, I think it's really um, a good quote for life, actually. Um, Cherishing every moment we have. uh, Unless you're Riker and you know, he's going to live forever. So, 
It definitely is. Although the flip side of that is the one that kind of rings true for me, which is Dr. Soren when he tells Picard that time is the fire in which we burn. Because that's actually how I feel most of the time as I try to keep up with everything that's going on. And and I notice how quickly the time passes as you get older. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I um, I, I just thought about this, but it makes me think of what uh, David Mack had talked about at the very end of his newest series uh, about what Picard believes about life and existence and that there is something there's a more spiritual plane to it than he had ever imagined. And he, I think throughout his tenure as captain of the enterprise and throughout the movies and then throughout, you know, of course the novel series, he's kind of grown to be a more spiritually minded person with all that he's been through. Um, and I think too, maybe just as he's aged, uh, and that kind of shows up a little bit there in generations, I think with him talking about, time as a friend you know instead of the flip side where that time is our enemy so it'll be a lot of fun to get this book and flip through and remember all those moments because as illustrated by our discussion right here you first asked me what are your favorite quotes and because there are so many great moments it's hard for me to pull one out immediately but then as we talk i'm remembering this one i'm remembering that one so a great memory refresher here and so this one is coming out April 16th and retail price 12.95. Amazon has it for 10.36. So like a lot of the books we've been talking about over the past few weeks, very inexpensive, kind of an impulse buy. You just, you know, see it in the store. I don't know if they'll have this at some place like Target or not, but I'm sure, you know, like a Barnes and Noble probably will have it. So you see it on the shelf and just grab it. And it is going to be nice. I mean, this is in hardcover as well. So this is not just a paperback book. So for 1036, you know, if you're a Prime member, this is perfect. Yeah, and 96 pages too. So it's not, you know, it's not like a super thin book. All right, very good. Well, why don't we jump over to comic news? And uh, the first thing we have is the anticipated release on February 20th of Hive number four. So we can find out what ultimately happens to King Poseidon himself Jean-Luc Picard slash Lacutus of the future. Yeah, this evening I went ahead and contacted Comixology and their support department to ask them if they knew when this would be coming out. They said to me um, that right now it's scheduled for the 20th. Um, And so I say that just in case there's any delays, but hopefully this will be coming out the 20th. Um, Like you said, I'm, I'm anticipating um, this will be in a very interesting comic. We'll probably have quite a long discussion, I would think, uh, seeing what happens to King Lacutus Poseidon um, and his trident. I'm really worried about the trident, mostly, um, just because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, how can you go wrong holding a trident? You're afraid he's going to poke you, right? That's a little personal, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to see if the reset button that we have been predicting is going to take place at the end of uh, Hive. Kind of expecting it. And, you know, I mean, if it does, I guess it's fine. We'll just look at Hive as this kind of interesting what-if scenario of the Federation's history over the course of, you know, many centuries. And, yeah, it'll be it'll, it'll be fun to see. 
Well, and I mean, as we've talked, you know, we talked to David Mack a, a few weeks ago, and it's it's hard to beat, I think, um, the di- direction that he went with in Destiny for giving us the f- final chapter of the Borg. Um, and for me, it that just kind of is what I think of when I think of canon for the end of the Borg and the beginning of the Borg. So very well fits into the whole... Uh, saga of star trek and uh so i i'm hoping and i've got my fingers crossed that this end will be a worthy end to the borg and it won't just be a huge reset button because you know when i think of the borg as a villain this is um this is a great foe for the federation and they deserve if you're gonna send them out even in a comic to send them out well Well, hopefully it will come out on February 20th, as they are saying right now, and we will find out very shortly. Now, something we have been anticipating was finally released this week, and that is ongoing number 17, which gives us the backstory of Dr. McCoy in the Abramsverse. Now, you and I have both read this, and the very first thing I said to you was, hey, they started it off with a lens flare coming out of the Enterprise, but... Straight out of the deflector dish. Um, I'm (laughs) still a little blind in one eye because of it. So I do want to warn everyone to be careful with this comic. You you may lose, it may poke your eye out. Right. Especially if, if like me, you're reading it on an iPad with a retina display because it's extremely bright. Yes. Very dangerous. Very Um, dangerous stuff here. But what do you think uh, about the story itself, Matthew? Well, um, just... For our listeners, spoilers, we will be talking about this comic, so if you have not read it, go ahead and stop right now. Go get it on Comixology or the Star Trek Comics app, read it, and then press play again. So, now. Right. And it's a short one. It's a 24-page comic instead of a 32-page. Yeah, so it's not that long. Um, You know, I liked that we finally get the backstory here for... Um, McCoy and of course you know in a 24 page comic you can't go into great detail because honestly uh, what they do is they cover a long span of time for him from uh, all the way being a boy to um, graduated from college and then married being a doctor then getting into Starfleet after the divorce so that is a huge span of time Um, but I did like getting these little snippets in his life and kind of seeing what makes McCoy kind of a melancholy character throughout the rest of his life. Yeah, it is a lot of ground to cover. I think that there are a lot of seeds that were planted here that could be explored in some McCoy novels set in the Abrams verse, which it would be very interesting to find out more about his childhood, for example, uh, definitely to find out more about his marriage and as his career progressed and the things that led to the divorce. I mean, it's kind of alluded to here. And, you know, if you've been in relationships or marriages, you can you can fill in the blanks uh, of what's on this one page. But, you know, basically it was all great in the beginning. Uh, work kind of pulled them apart. They grew apart. And that was that. And uh, it, you know, maybe left McCoy with some regrets about his work. But at the same time, 
I think he loved his work most of all in the end and being able to help people. And that's kind of what I get through the, the rapid progression in this comic of his life. Yes, and I, I what I thought was really interesting as well is that in this comic, and we know from the Prime Universe that McCoy loses his father in a very tragic um, way, you know, um, allowing his father to die, being taken off life support, and then a few right. months later, them finding the cure for what his father had. Uh, that doesn't happen in this comic, and so um, I'm wondering if McCoy's father is still alive, um, because uh, that does kind of change the character a little bit. You know, Bones is is a little bit of a curmudgeon, um, but a lot of that in the Abrams verse seems to have to do with his personal uh, issues of you know being divorced and having a failed marriage and feeling like he has nothing left on Earth, um, and, and not something like the tragic loss of a father and then realizing that if you had just allowed him to suffer a little bit while longer, he could have been with you for years to come. And so, uh, the the character here uh, we see is is quite a bit different unless somewhere down the road they have McCoy lose his father. Right. Now, is it clear? I'm trying to think back. Now, that whole scene is in Star Trek V when Cybok makes him relive events of the past. His father, on the timeline, died after he joined Starfleet or before he joined Starfleet? I cannot that recall. That part actually. I don't know. I just ask because I'm wondering... If it was after he joined Starfleet, then it's still possible for that to play out yeah. in the alternate reality in the same way. Now, if it was before he joined Starfleet, that's already a, a big change in the timeline. Exactly. Another thing I really liked in here, though, was related to his father. One thing you get from McCoy in the original series is that he's a doctor who always makes do with what's available to him. You think about all these situations when they beam down the planets. One for me that always comes to mind is Miri when they've beamed down to the planet where all the adults are dead, you know, and the children die when they reach a certain age. And he has to just use what's available to him there to find a cure for this. And it's actually a life and death situation for himself and for Kirk and the crew because they have to find a way also to escape. Uh, their captivity on this planet. And, and I often joke about his solution there because it feels kind of like, let's just mix some stuff up and he eyeballs it. And yeah, it looks about right here. Why don't you drink this? And it'll make you better. But, <laughs> that's kind of my impression of McCoy a lot of the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are the scenes in this comic here where his father says that, you know, there's a medical lesson for you in this. When you don't have all the fancy technology available, you just make do with what you have. You know, and his father puts his arm in a in a sling made out of his old Miss T-shirt, and and it was a nice little tidbit about those moments in life uh, where your children are influenced by your actions, and how his father uh, helped develop you know who Bones became. And you can I, you can see the dedication that uh he has you can see the bits of his father too where you know the beginning of this comic they're walking through the woods and he's telling you know leonard look 
We're, we're not out here to do anything that involves a pad or some sort of bright screen. We're out here to enjoy nature. And if we get lost and we have to eat, you know, wild raccoons because we got lost, we're going to do it. Um, you know, and that, that kind of homespun uh, appreciation for the simpler things is something that you really do get from McCoy um, throughout all of TOS. And, um, you know, you get that kind of feeling from him even though we haven't known him very long in the JJ verse, uh, you still get that feeling from him. And uh, I think that it, I liked this comic because it was showing that his father's way of looking at life has had a big influence on his look of life, uh, especially too, right. when it comes to being a doctor. And it was a strong influence that followed him all the way through. You know, he had the, the heartbreak of his marriage and he kind of lost himself a little bit in that felt like he needed a new beginning which turned out to be Starfleet. And in the beginning, you know, he's talking to this little girl who's sick in the hospital, Jenny, and she says she's going to join Starfleet when she grows up. She's terminally ill. She's kind of dreaming. And and he says she's braver than him. You know, he would never join Starfleet. That he's kind of maybe scared of, of the challenges or the adventure or the unknown of space or whatever. But in the end, you know, that becomes that fresh start for him. Yeah, and I really liked um, just that last bit at the end of him talking about the fact that um, you know he went out into the universe um, to find himself, uh, to get a new sense of purpose and a new home, and the fact that he he had found his way. You know, he lost his way in Mississippi. He thought he would never leave there, and it took leaving there, the place he thought he'd never leave to find himself again. Um, and he found a new sense of, of being um, with the Enterprise. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's great. And I loved that it did tie back into Jenny's wish of being on a starship. And she wanted to be a starship captain. And she wanted her view screen to be able to wrap all the way around. She could always see the stars. And I like that it ends with McCoy just standing there thinking, it doesn't wrap all the way around Jenny, but I know you'd still love it. Um, and the heart of McCoy, I think, really comes through here. Uh, and this is what makes this guy such a deep person. You can tell that everything affects him uh, from the inside out. And um, I think this is why I really resonate with his character. Yeah, definitely. And I could associate with him, too. Um, you know, I'm originally from Alabama, and I wandered very far astray here to Tokyo to make my my life ultimately and uh yeah sometimes you know a change of view is it's needed to to help you grow and to help you me find you know who you you really are so uh it's a very good one i'm I'm glad we got this story i'm i want more uh you know we were talking before we went on the air about what we thought about this comic and one of my comments was that i would have liked to have known even more about it but of course you're limited to what you can do in 24 pages. If the Abrams verse is going to continue, now I think on the screen, I think it's only going to continue for one more film. So there will be three and that's probably going to be it. If it continues though to have its own life in literature, I would love to see them do a series of books that really focus on McCoy and his journey as a doctor because I would like to fill in more of the blank. This comic, I think, raised more questions for me than it answered in a way it, it 
sort of teased you with the background of, of Bones, but then made you want to know a lot more detail about his life. And I think that's one of the the signs of a good comic or a good book is uh, a lot of times they leave you wanting more, especially if they're a continuing character. Um, and I'm really glad that the storylines in most of the ongoing comics do leave me wanting to know more. Um, that speaks to the writing. Um, and uh, this is definitely a story, like you said, I, I too really want to know more about Dr. McCoy. I want to um, know more about all of the characters um, to get into their backgrounds and what's you know brought them to this point because you know the first movie didn't really get to deal with that too much. Um, you know we really only get to see the background of of Kirk and Spock in any kind of detail. Um, so getting yeah, and this Keenzer, the... don't forget Keenzer. Well, that's true. I mean, Keenzer. how could I forget the linchpin of the JJ verse? Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, definitely. If you're listening, IDW, please give us more. More McCoy. Well, Matthew, we just talked about the Abramsverse McCoy in news. And now we're going to go back to the prime universe, as it's come to be known, or for some of us, the real Star Trek. And we're going to talk about Dr. McCoy for the feature today in comic form. And uh, we've got some John Byrne here to talk about. I had never read these before, Chris, and read them twice today now to get ready. And I have to tell you, John Byrne, give me more McCoy, because this was fantastic. Right? Yeah, this left me just wanting more and more of this. Uh, Now, for those of you who haven't read these, another spoiler warning, we're going to go into detail about this series. Now, this is a series from 2010, and this is the Leonard McCoy Frontier Doctor series from IDW. It's four comics, and it's all about Dr. McCoy, the bearded Dr. McCoy, and his adventures after the original five-year mission and the before the motion picture, because the Enterprise is undergoing its refit during the events of these comics. And I thought that this was a great place to really get into the character. Um, you know, Bone shows up in the motion picture. He's got this amazing beard that Bear Grylls would, you know, just kill to have. Um, he's got a, the medallion of awesome. Um, and, you know, you want to know more about what this guy has been up to. Uh, and the way that John Byrne gets into this character from the moment he comes on, you're like, yep, that's Dr. McCoy. Uh, and the storyline is just fantastic. Um, this idea of kind of this, um, Federation, uh, doctor service where they just basically go around in a ship and try and help people you know, doctors without borders. Um, right. This is fantastic. Galactic doctors without borders, (laughs) which is, it's really, really far I mean, it's it's kind of vague when you think about how far you could go to help people. Right. <laughs> you could go anywhere. Yeah, this is the Federation's or Starfleet's Frontier Medics program that he joins. And Kirk has been urging him to do something with his time. And in true McCoy fashion, at least this is how I always feel about Dr. McCoy, 
He sends letters to Admiral Kirk, but he writes them by hand, kind of like, Matthew, the way that you take notes when you're preparing for the shows, because you you like to post photos of your notebook and your pencil. Uh, McCoy is doing this in the 23rd century, writing down, uh, basically, Admiral Kirk is Dr. McCoy's pen pal at this point in time. And I really liked that because it fits so well with what we know of McCoy. You know, he just likes to be able to do things in a way that make him feel connected to what he's doing. Um, and so instead of kind of dictating a letter, um, you know, audibly through the computer and sending some kind of log like that, you know, I think that what McCoy really enjoys and relishes is being alive. Um, and for him, that means doing things the old-fashioned way, having a good drink with a friend, uh, writing a letter. All of this, I think, makes him feel connected to just who he is, and um, I love that. It just says so much about the character without having to explain it to you, you know? The guy's writing a letter in the 23rd century. That says volumes. And having it delivered by courier. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just I'm just glad um, he wasn't trying to use carrier pigeons. Um, <laughs> it's uh, space carrier you little, pigeons. <laughs> you put like little tiny helmets on the carrier pigeons so they can fly through space. Little, little oxygen masks. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, you know, Byrne, he does such a good job here of capturing McCoy's voice. It really, you feel like this is Dr. McCoy throughout as he's writing these letters to Admiral Kirk to tell him about his adventures in the Frontier Medics program. Well, and what I really liked, I thought was really interesting too, is this kind of juxtaposition at the beginning. You know, uh, we don't really picture Kirk sitting behind a desk. You know, Bones does that in the original series when he's sitting behind his desk working on his medical stuff. But at this point, you know, Kirk is behind the desk as the admiral, and now Bones is the captain of a ship going off in the galaxy, exploring strange new, you know, exploring strange new diseases and boldly going where no doctor's gone before. So uh, I thought that this was it's really interesting. It's kind of like in the ongoing 17 that we just talked about earlier in news near the end of that. He says as he travels, he finds, you know, all new ways to get sick. Exactly. That's, yes. That's what he's finding in the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really interesting too, because uh, what we talked about with ongoing fit so perfectly with this older McCoy. Um, it, it, it was really seamless, honestly. And so to have this kind of all McCoy all day for me w- was really nice. That ongoing actually really helped me reading these comics because I felt like I was reading an extension of the exact same character. Well, let's jump into the actual stories themselves. Now, the first story is called Weeds, and I was a little bit surprised not to see Mary Louise Parker in this comic because mm. I just maybe had it confused with another show. I you know, well, yeah, I thought, I thought Dr. Thought McCoy was, gonna... was dealing drugs and, yeah. you know. I thought there were going to be some more pot dealers in the episode or this issue. I thought there might be a few more sex scenes. I, I just didn't know where this was going when I saw weeds. I mean, the first <laughs> uh, thing is Kirk getting 
a letter from a courier. I didn't know where that was going to go. You didn't know what was in the envelope, right? Exactly. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe, um, you know, Kirk was getting some pineapple express delivered to him from, uh, Dr. McCoy, the good stuff. So who knew what was going to go on? Um, but yeah, this was a great beginning. I think it really just set up well the time period that we're in, you know, before the motion picture and right after the five-year mission. So, you know, some things have changed, not everything, but specifically uniforms have changed. That helped as yeah. well. Yeah, so it establishes where we are. Now, talking about the stories, what I really love about this particular comic series is that it's very, very true to Star Trek. It's the ideas it's sort of it's a pro and a con in a way it's a pro in that these four comics tell very good stories and they talk about big ideas and they actually stop and make you think about these ideas now the con to it is that i feel like the ideas are too big for comics and as i'm reading them i'm thinking the whole time like wow this would have made a fantastic episode or this would be a brilliant novel where they could really explore this issue more. I think that this is the benefit of the, having this comic series and John Byrne is the writer uh, because he's not pandering to the comic audience. He's making this just like a Star Trek episode, just like a Star Trek novel. He's introducing, like you said, all of these things that we've come to expect from Star Trek without watering it down for us. And he does leave us wanting more, just as we talked about with ongoing 17. And so uh, I really enjoyed that because I am thinking through some of these issues still, even though I've read these twice now, I'm still thinking about some of these ideas. And that makes for such a great experience that a comic is leaving me thinking about some kind of philosophical issue by the end. That's good writing. Oh, it really is. And in the first issue, Weeds, again, it's not about drugs. It's actually about a planet uh, called Ophiuchus Three, on which there is a colony of humans, and this entire planet is covered with vegetation. And there's both an environmental message here as well as... You know, one of the missions of the Enterprise in the original series and Starfleet is to seek out new life. And what we end up with here is the discovery of a new form of life. And But you also get the disregard on the part of humans towards life that they don't understand. They are believing that this is just vegetation and they're treating it as such Yet they're being puzzled by the reactions of the jungle on the planet. They're being puzzled by this disease, which is starting to kill all the humans, which is, of course, the reason that McCoy is there, because he and his sidekick Duncan and uh, the stowaway Andorian Thela receive uh, an emergency signal from this planet. And they say they're required by Federation law to respond to that signal before they do anything else. And so this story also puts Bones to the test as a doctor, possibly more so than the the next three comics do. It does. Um, you know, not only does he have to uh, defend this plant life, which he doesn't necessarily understand yet, but he gets a sense from, and you know, you can tell 
that this is somebody who's been on the Enterprise for five years and has seen the strangest things and has a sense when something's probably intelligent. Um, and But really coming down to having to use every ounce of his medical knowledge to fight this infection that's happening to the people. Um, and he even himself becomes infected. And so I, I thought that this was an excellent use in showing off just how much Bones has learned from being on the final frontier for five years. Um, and I got to say, I was not expecting this, but, you know, uh, what, three pages in, we get an Andorian fight scene. I know. It was was it that awesome? Awesome. I mean, not only a, <laughs> a Dorian fight scene, but a hot Andorian fight scene. I mean, this, you know, she ain't no slouch, this Thela. Well, she's a looker. She is definitely not Jeffrey Combs. Well, yeah, I mean, he's everywhere, but she, uh, I, I wouldn't mind um, some time with Thela. <laughs> well, you might have to fight Duncan for her as we. That's true. Find out later That's on. true. And I wouldn't want to take away the love of his life. But I loved it when I turned the page, and I was like, "Oh yes, Andorian fight scene." Thank you, John Byrne. <laughs> Yeah, it was perfect. I, I, I knew uh, we were going to have a, a good talk about Andorians here. And I thought it was great, too, that the way that John Byrne writes in different Star Trek aliens that we may have seen before, uh, like Andorians here, um, and just gives us a tiny bit of background about them because we don't know much about them from the original series. And so I yeah. really enjoyed getting this kind of piece of seeing something like an Andorian that I'd always wish we'd seen more of in the original series. Yeah, I, I do feel like the take on the Andorians here is very much influenced by Enterprise. And that is true. I mean, and honestly, we know more about Andorians from Enterprise than we ever did from you know, oh, the background characters that they really are in the uh, original series. So. so what, Chris, did you think about this just kind of mission that McCoy is on you know it's kind of this old ship it feels a little bit like the Millennium Falcon they're on except it's it's really sophisticated inside with all the uh, the equipment and them just kind of hopping from issue to issue what did you think about that as a setup yeah you're yeah that's a good analogy although Duncan has a lot less hair than Chewbacca that's uh, true <laughs> I thought it was interesting that uh, the ship's name is Joanna and to be honest, when I read Joanna, the first thing I thought about was that you named your iPhone Natalie. And I was wondering, yes. what is it with giving ships and phones these female names? Yeah, um, there's just something about having a you know connection with your technology that you want to name it. You know, all of my technology has a name. Um, my iPad is Hedwig. My... Um, iPod is the Fortress of Solitude. So, yeah, there's just something about it. I don't know. I'm kind of weird. But you know, though, uh, but, that but... McCoy's daughter's name is Joanna. So I'm wondering if that's a sly reference to his daughter, whose name is Joanna. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's absolutely it. Um, as for the mission, I, I think it's an interesting concept, you know, to have Federation doctors who go out and are kind of on call. It's basically like a doctor on call, but you're on a ship in space somewhere. And then as you pick up an emergency signal or as Starfleet 
dispatches you to a certain planet, you go and you kind of clean up whatever mess is going on there. And it's something that I guess we've never really seen that in Star Trek. The only thing I can think of might be in All Good Things in the future time frame when Beverly is captain of the Pasteur. We don't really know what the mission of the Pasteur is. So it's it's interesting to think of maybe that was part of this program where the Federation has medical ships around that are available to help uh, both Federation planets as well as others who are in need. Yeah, it it reminded me of uh, in World War II when you had the the large liners that were turned into huge medical ships uh, to be able to supply the troops and uh, be large floating hospitals, basically. And it would make sense that Starfleet would have something like this, that Starfleet Medical would have their own ships. They would go into the disaster areas to be able to help out in a way that, um, you know, a normal starship couldn't. Because, I mean, we've all seen the sick bays in Starfleet ships. They're not really that big. Um, so if you have a whole planet that's, you know, dealing with stuff, you don't have to turn a cargo bay into a sick bay every time, you know, this way you just call for, you know, your local, uh, friendly ambulance Starfleet ship and they'll come and help you out. And I'm sure that there are plenty of those in Starfleet. The stories that we have seen on screen just haven't lended themselves to, you know, taking us aboard those vessels very much or showing us very much of it. Uh, I'm sure it's there. It gives me an idea for a future Star Trek series. It could be like a medical drama and the ship at the center of the series is a medical ship and it's all about the doctors. And now it's not, it's not like um, Garrett Wong's kind of scrubs in space comedy thing. Not like that. I'm talking about like a serious show about uh, the medical aspects of the Federation and, and you know what it's like, what real life is like, in a galaxy that is ultimately very hostile to life. What uh, I really liked about this comic too, is that it did remind me a lot of um, just flocks and the way that he's a doctor and bones is really in that vein of just being somebody who can, who can be anywhere, take any medical issue and find uh, a cure for it by using uh, any means necessary. Um, just really that kind of doctor, and and uh, I really liked that about this series. It, it felt, it really does feel like he's on the frontier. I mean, it's called Frontier Doctor, so I liked that they gave it that feel as well and allowed him to really um, be out on the uh, edge of the final frontier and, and finding out uh, some of the strangest things I've ever seen, like an entire planet whose plant life is one big ecosystem, which really just steals from avatar which has already come out at this point when this comic came out um but this was actually a little bit more interesting because there aren't any other uh animals on the planet there's just this um hive like mind for plant life i hope that was really interesting yeah that manifests itself in a way that appear like like mccoy is looking at these people like wait a minute you don't see these guys walking around, these guys flying around. It's never crossed your mind that there might actually be some intelligence behind this. <laughs> That's kind of the view he has of them here, I think. And and same for me as the reader as I'm as I'm reading it. But 
it was an interesting concept. And of course, it ultimately ends up uh, with McCoy saving the day through his ingenuity and the Federation, you know, taking note of a new life form. Uh, it was a very good story. And this one, I felt, was handled very well within the format of the comic. Um, didn't really... Issue number one did not leave me so much wanting to say have a novel version of this where they could explore it more. I felt like Byrne did a good job here of encapsulating everything within the 32 pages that we have. And I really like the way the artwork works in all four of these comics. There's some great angles to each, some of the pages, um, some great uses of the page and all of it um, and the way that it kind of presents the information to you. Uh, they're packed as much as they can, I feel like, on the page and made they it are really packed, visually yeah. interesting. And so yeah. I really like this because it's very detailed. Yeah, it, it is quite packed. Uh, it, it is very detailed and gives you a very thorough story, no doubt. Why don't we jump over to issue number two now, which is called Error. And this one opens up with Bones telling Thela all about the mirror universe, even though the story itself doesn't actually take place in the mirror universe. Which I thought was fun. Uh, you know, it just gives you the reminder of who McCoy is and what he's done in his life and that, um, you know, not everybody in the Federation or uh, around the galaxy has an idea about this kind of thing. And, it, you know, when you tell somebody this kind of story, it still kind of blows their mind. I think this idea, wait, there's another universe and there's another me out there. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And it was a nice little nod to the original series, you know, kind of throwing that in. And then they take us to a kind of the opposite of the planet we were just on. So instead of a planet being covered entirely by vegetation, they take us to a planet covered entirely by water, except for five small islands that all together total about the size of Manhattan. Uh, but there's a big mystery here for McCoy to solve. And this is one of the stories here in these comics that really left me wanting more and thinking that this would make a really, really fantastic television episode. It would, um, although I noted on this issue that it really showcases what you can do with comics mm -hmm. or, say, an animated series by being able to create these ginormous sets. I That's mean, true. The, yeah. the um, way that each of these islands is set up is that they have to build vertically because there's no space, and so it would be very compact, and, I mean, you would have to be you know all green screen um and so this really just showcased the beauty yeah. of the creative mind being able to put anything it can on paper because you're not constrained by budgets and you know all of that kind of stuff that goes into make a television show yeah yeah that, that's a very good point the story itself the idea behind the story is one that i was picturing it unfolding as an episode in my head, though, because there's a great mystery here. There are these nice little tidbits here, like this headband that they have to wear to transport. And you're thinking, well, that's really weird. Why, why would you need to wear a headband to transport? And But then when you get to the end of the story, it's all explained. I thought it was a very clever little 
thing that they snuck in there and and brought us back to it at the end. Now, we also meet Scotty in here, which I thought was a little bit unusual that he would be on this planet when he was so involved in the refit of the Enterprise, which he does talk about a little bit here. Um, Did meeting Scotty do anything for you in this story, or did it just seem like something to throw in there as, hey, here's a familiar character? Well, what it did for me uh, was just showcase that um, there is life for some with these characters outside of the refit of the Enterprise, um, okay. you know. And and for Scotty, you know, the you know, he talks about how he's been working nonstop basically on this for months and months and months, and and that the Admiral has forced him yeah, to take eighteen months, in fact. Yes, yeah. so uh, he's been forced to take some R and R. Um, which any good commander should do for their crew. And so I was really just surprised to see Scotty show up. And and uh, it was just fun to see him in this issue, even though he doesn't really do a lot in it. Yeah, he's not really integral to the story itself. Um, I'll tell you a few points that, in the story that kind of connected with me. One of them is because I live in Japan. The whole concept here of the Tarsians, and they're really sticklers for the rules, and they're really sticklers for protocol. And they explain that when you have so many people in such a small space, you really have to follow the rules. And, you know, the society here is is a lot like that. Um, there's a great contrast for me being American, growing up in America, but then living most of my adult life in Japan, between what I see as sort of a society of anarchy in the U.S. Uh, anarchy is a strong word, but it's kind of chaotic. It's very much like everyone do what they want to do uh, all the time. Environment, especially compared to Japan, where here everything is very orderly. You know, you don't act out in public. You don't make um, a big deal out of things publicly. Uh, the you know transportation network, everything's very orderly. It's like. Everyone is very much following the rules all the time. And and it really helps to keep everything flowing. And it helps to keep uh, the society running smoothly. And that's just something that popped in my head as I was reading this comic. And as the Tarsians were talking about theirs, whereas when McCoy got there, he was like, to hell with the rules. You know, I got to save this man. And, and you see kind of the outside... Starfleet personnel or humans coming into a situation like that that's very different and kind of wanting to dismiss it right off the bat without really thinking about why things are working the way they are. And it made me wonder, I mean, I know that they talk about the fact that um, they do this because they have so many people living in such a small, confined area, but this is the point where I felt like the story didn't really explain why they do this i mean you know we come to the end of the story and they they live forever or at least thousands of years and i'm I'm not really sure what the point of them having to go through all these rituals is it just because they have all this time on their hands and they're bored so they start thinking up rules uh yeah that that was the part where that didn't fit as well um i think you know what really interested me was the you know the mystery yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's why I say this would make a great episode or possibly even better a novel because they do throw out 
And it's why I said at the beginning that I feel like the ideas in these comics are too big for comics. They throw all these little interesting elements out at you, but they're not able to actually explore them or explain them within 32 pages. This does seem like um, it would be a very good TOS novel uh, for Mm. the Enterprise to run across, say, maybe right after the motion picture um, to kind of be visiting this planet and get to meet these aliens and, you know, them all struggling with trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. Um, because yes, this is what, what I like so much about this is that again, it fits perfectly within this time frame. Uh, it, it just feels from the moment you crack open the cover of any one of these issues okay, I'm, I'm in that time period. I'm right there, right before the motion picture. This, all the characters fit. All the situations fit. It's, it's Star Trek at its core. Um, so again, I mean, I, I feel bad because you know, don't have a lot to say bad about it, except for, you know, just some of the things I didn't feel like worked as well in this one. Um, but in the end, I think again, John Byrne just really nails what it means to write a Star Trek story. Yeah, he does. And the mystery that you talked about, as we go through the comic, we find that they talk about how these Tarsians all seem to be the same age, and they all seem to look the same. And and why is that? And what's going on? And it's there's this big debate in Star Trek for a long time about transporters and how do the transporters really work? And what happens when you're transported? You know, Does the transporter kill you and then resurrect you does it kill you and create a new person who somehow has your memories but isn't really you anymore you know or does it actually store you and somehow transfer some intangible soul to some other place and and they kind of take that on in here a little bit and the resolution that the way the tarsian transporters work and the reason why, even though they are about to join the Federation and get Federation technology, they don't want their transporter technology to be replaced by Federation technology, is that you know the transporters are the thing that's keeping them alive. But it's basically making a copy of them from the first time they use it. And then when they use it, they're just being reborn the way they were that first time. So it, it's almost like a way of, of a path to immortality. It is. Um, but not a good one, it, I would say. Well, yeah. It, what I like about this is the way that McCoy explains it about saying that, you know, when the, the transporter transports you, it, it breaks a man down to the most basic parts, puts him back together somehow, and the life force also safely makes the trip. You know, basically McCoy is saying, look, your soul gets transported with you. We don't know how it just does. But what the Tarsians are doing is they are basically just, they've destroyed that soul of a person a long time ago because they've just made a copy and then transported the brainwave patterns into that newly remade model. You're not the same. And right. so basically the question becomes in this, this issue, do you trade your soul for immortality? 
Exactly. That's what and I was about to say. And that is, uh, oh my gosh, what a question to ask. Right. Because basically that's what they're doing. They're trading what makes them unique for immortality. Although ultimately, even that's killing them because, again, McCoy is a frontier doctor here. And one thing that's going on is that Tarsians are starting to die and they don't know why it's happening. And it's ultimately explained that every time they use the transporters, these unliving molecules, unliving cells are building up in them to the point where it overtakes their body and it kills them. But ultimately, the Tarsians say, okay, well, great. We understand that's what's happening. That's all fine. But, you know, this is how we do things and we're going to keep doing it. Well, and it reminded me of the idea that, you know, a lot of times people will be faced with things like, okay, just take smoking or drinking or doing drugs, um, anything that can kill you. And they're faced with the realization that, look, if I don't stop this, it's going to kill me. But I'm going to do it anyway. Um, that's pretty much their attitude. We, we don't care. We'll live sort of forever and then we'll die. But I'm also going to give up my soul to do it too. So apparently that's the deal they're willing to make with their devil. Yeah, well, it highlights the way different people see the world in different ways. And, you know, different things are important to different people. So it's it's just a really good message. It's why I say it's very Star Trek. You know, it raises this question. It's here that we can sit here and have this kind of deep philosophical discussion about a comic. And that shows me that these comics are very true to Star Trek. Um, let's go to issue number three. This one's called Medics. And this one I didn't like quite as much. I mean, I think the story's interesting. I didn't like it quite as much as a Frontier Doctor comic because I felt like they took McCoy out of having to solve a medical problem. And they just kind of put him into the middle of, of a bigger ethical story. Yeah, this one, uh, there is definitely less medicine to it and in, in more kind of... Uh... It's kind of like a, a rip-roaring adventure for him. Um, yeah. And, of course, uh, the big surprise, too, is is that Gary Seven shows up in, in oh, a very interesting way. Oh, I thought you were going to say way. the big surprise was that Thela and Duncan were getting frisky. Well, yeah, that happens, too. And good good going, Duncan, because, wow. <laughs> Matthew is jealous of you, Duncan. I thought it was interesting too in this comic. This is the first time she's actually worn normal clothes. <laughs> you know, before she's always kind of been in this very risque almost like leather looking like dress and yeah. and you know, finally she's put on some normal clothes. Um but I thought that what was interesting about this story was the idea of uh these people, these clones, they've been transported from the past, which is our past, Gary 7 uh, is from the 60s and these clones have been transported from there by his beta 5 computer to an outlying system that's away from any shipping lanes um, because they were created by these madmen. We should say they were created by the American military or at least by these two men for the American military in a secret program to create an army of clones which, again, reminded me of Star Wars and the Clone Wars. Exactly. 
So um, these clones resume what they've been trained to do, which is fight each other on this planet. Well, the Klingons come across this planet and think, well, this is great. We can have basically an arena like the Hunger Games and we can just watch these people kill each other and we don't have to do it. We can place bets on them. This becomes like their Hunger Games arena, which I thought was really interesting. And then, of course, the Klingons don't really enjoy it being so primitive with these bows and arrows. They give them all these fancy weapons. Um, they also introduce women so that they can have babies and make sure that right. they can keep coming to this planet. Now, from an ethical perspective here, now they don't simply introduce women. You know, they don't send Klingon women there to mate with the human clones. They actually use genetic engineering to create women, human women, and then they introduce them so that these human clones can start reproducing so that they will have an endless supply of warriors to take part in these war games that they're betting on. Which is just so interesting as an ethical dilemma. One, I mean, creating all these clones. Two, then creating more clones that are females out of the male clones and then have having children, and I have no idea what that does to the DNA strand. Um, so I, that made me think of the medical issues that McCoy or any doctor might face when dealing with all of these people. Um, but yes, this is much more a story about this ethical issue and not so much anything medical. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, now I think the ethical debate is very interesting. And again, this is something that I would enjoy seeing played out in a novel where you could really, really dig into that issue. I was a little disappointed in this one that they didn't allow McCoy to take on that medical angle a little bit more, just because with it being Dr. McCoy as the frontier doctor, I wanted to see him doing his McCoy things and solving the medical mystery. And, and we didn't quite get that one in here. And, and, and this turns out to be a cliffhanger of all things. It does. Uh, I thought it was interesting that at the end of this episode, you get the Yorktown showing up. Um, you get um, Pike's original number one showing up as, as an admiral, which was yep. very cool. Um, and uh, and then, of course, the cliffhanger is who is in her sick bay um, on the Yorktown. And so uh, a really well done comic, you know, like you, this isn't my favorite of the series, but it is a really fun adventure. And I thought it was a... It's definitely a risk for them to do something like Gary Seven um, in this comic. And I think it works for the story. It might just not be the best frontier doctor story. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a good twist. And it's nice when they can take some element from the original series and they can hook it in like this. And, uh, you know, may, maybe this was episode two of the series Assignment Earth that you know, Roddenberry was trying to backdoor pilot in that Star Trek episode and that they could have a crossover. You have a cameo by DeForest Kelly as Dr. McCoy in that. Uh, it could have worked that way. But um, I felt that the cliffhanger was, it was a little bit odd because what we end up with in issue four, which starts off being titled Hosts, is the continuation of that story, but it's only for half the issue. So I almost feel like I wish they had just done 
not not even a double length comic but just done you know like a like a 44 page comic and finish that story off in number three so that then what we got in the second part of number four called scalpel could have been explored a little more deeply because it had a very interesting uh issue to it but before we talk about scalpel let's talk about hosts just a little bit and you know this picks up after the it's a lot like where no man has gone before and the gary mitchell daner story it is, and it also, I feel like, references some of the ideas that we saw in the first comic, Weeds. Uh, again, no drugs were involved. But the fact that they're on a planet that has had DNA and then intelligence evolve before any kind of, like, species, which I don't know if that's possible. I mean, I don't it's know. a great science fiction idea. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I was thinking about that as I was reading it. And, you know, a good friend of mine is Athena Andreatis, who wrote the biology of Star Trek. And I, I was thinking that I, I need to get Athena to come on and just discuss from a scientific perspective, if that's even possible, because I, I would be curious to find out what she says, because for me, as a layman, it just seems like a far-fetched science fiction concept. I don't really know how that would work. But it makes for an interesting story, I guess. Yeah. And this was one of those where it was definitely uh, an interesting medical thing that Bones is having to try to figure out. Um, You know, the idea that uh, the intelligence has spread then to all of the different species that have evolved on this planet. And so none of the species are themselves exceptionally intelligent. It's them being linked to the entire hive mind. So um, right. almost kind of a Borgish type thing, but organically. Sort of. and yeah. So it's very sort of interesting like, idea. It's sort of like all the life forms are manifestations of this intelligence in different shapes. Right. And, and kind of... Um, kind of that pantheistic way of uh, viewing God that we are all part of God. And so that each of us together make up God, um, right. That in each of these, you know, beings on this planet, whether they be birds or whatever, all make up the intelligence of that planet. Right. And if you want to take that in another way, a non-theological way, there is this recent idea called the biocosm, which is this idea that, the universe itself is a life form and that we are manifestations within the universe and that actually our existence is part of the process of the universe living out its life and reproducing. There there was a book written on that topic and it's also an angle that Stephen Baxter takes in his Manifold series of books, which is a really excellent series. Um so in both ways, yeah, that that is an idea that that is out there and is kind of what's going on here in this issue. So very interesting. What I also thought was interesting is that you have Christine Chapel and yeah. you have number one who were played by the same person. The same character. Yeah. Um so they look very similar uh in the drawings here, and I thought that was pretty funny to have both of them be in the same ship on the same crew. Yeah, and at the least same number person, one here really. has the long gray hair. So um, 
this story overall, the concept of the intelligence was interesting to me. The actual action, you know, amongst the characters was, it didn't particularly grab me that much just because it felt a lot like a rehash of where no man has gone before. Uh, But it was nice to see Dr. McCoy figure out what was happening with uh, the DNA. And then, of course, somehow, and this they didn't go into this in the comic, but somehow they were able to communicate with this intelligence and get the intelligence to agree to, you know, stop screwing around with the crew and we'll take you home and drop you off, buy you dinner, and we'll go on our way. So that's kind of how it wraps up. Yeah, I like that. Um, I I thought it was, again, it, it's not uh, as strong as the first one, but I still yeah. really enjoyed it. So now let's go to number four, the second half of number four, Scalpel, which I was very disappointed that this ended up only being about 12 pages because this was a really interesting concept about the ethical quandaries of manipulating time and changing the past and doing it with good intentions and maybe not understanding how one small change affects the the broader world and the broader universe. And I thought it was really interesting because this idea of, you know, taking time travel to manipulate very small things and in the end... Doesn't he make a great society? I mean, uh, the question at the end for me was, does McCoy make the right choice? Because, yes, you may have sacrificed some, but you saved a lot of people because this is a very utopian society in a way that even the Federation, I don't think, could ever hope to be. I mean, this is one might argue the perfect society in the way that it deals with each other. I mean, it's very peaceful, loving, joyful. Uh, Everybody is just excited and happy. It seems like there doesn't seem to be any problems with this society. So what did you think, Chris? Well, we should give a little bit of background here. So what happens is Bones goes to this planet called um, Palvarlian 4, he meets his niece Sophie there and then his, I assume it's his brother-in-law, Alex, because he mentions at one point, don't you remember what happened to my father? So I think it was his brother-in-law rather than his brother. And his brother has this disease, but the ultimate bit of the story is that we find out that Sophie actually died nine years earlier when they first arrived on the planet And Alex uncovered this ancient technology, which had been around for about 10,000 years. And whoever created this technology had developed a way that you could see into the past and you could actually influence the thoughts of the people you were watching. Now, that's a really interesting concept to me. And this one especially, I think, would have made a great novel just to explore that concept as the basis of a story. But anyway, Alex finds the person who killed Sophie, his daughter, and caused the mother and father of that person to never meet so that that person was never born. And so suddenly Sophie reappeared because history had been changed. 
And that kind of emboldened him to make more and more changes. And so then he started putting the thoughts and ideas that people had learned and developed over thousands of years. He started putting those into the minds of ancient philosophers and scientists to influence the evolution of this society. And so that brings us to what you're saying, Matthew, of he created a paradise here. And then ultimately, is that good or bad or right or wrong? And as he's dying, he wants McCoy to take over the task. Now, two things here. At the end of this, Matthew, did you take it as McCoy went back and undid all the changes to this society or he just went back and he undid his own personal experience so that he didn't have to deal with the question of whether he should honor his brother-in-law's request or not? I got the feeling from the end of the comic, the fact that Kirk hasn't heard from Bones in about a month. Right. That... Um, he had changed the future or the past on this planet. And the reason Kirk hadn't heard from Bones is because he didn't have anything to write about. And Kirk even kind of says, well, m- nothing interesting must have happened. Well, right. if nothing interesting must have happened, then Bones even hypothesizes he wonders if he'll remember any of this if he changes. So the history... So my guess is is that he did, um, which also means that he sacrificed Sophie, um, which is sad. You know, yeah. that this is one of the things that I was left with is that Bones is not only changing or sacrificing her, who she is now, but he's sacrificing everybody else on this planet and who they are now. And um, I'm not quite sure if that's the right decision, you know to take all of these lives just so those other lives can come back and exist. I I don't know. Yeah. I didn't quite uh, take it this way. I took it in reading it. I think I took it simply as that he used the technology to erase his own involvement in this, not actually erasing the history now, if we take the way you're describing it with Sophie, maybe that's true. And, that's an interesting thing about the comic here is it leaves us wondering and we can debate it. If he did go back and change that, it would have been nine years earlier Then Sophie wouldn't have existed. But depending on what he did with Alex, all the changes that Alex made to the past could have still been made unless he went back further and he just erased Alex's arrival on the planet in which case Alex could never make those changes in the first place. Yeah, it's really hard, and your mind starts spinning as you think about it. Yes, this whole ending I've had to keep thinking about and trying to figure out, and it's a it's a bit ambiguous, and I think that's the point, is to read into it what you might want to. Um, but it was just very right. interesting, too, because you know um, Alex says to him, do the right thing, and then McCoy says... I wonder if it would have made any difference to my decision if Alex hadn't said that, if he hadn't used just those words. So this idea of what is the right thing, and I guess we're left wondering at the end, what does McCoy think is the right thing to do? Yeah, yeah. 
the whole concept in general is a wonderful science fiction concept. And it did leave me wanting more. I think that this second part of issue number four left me wanting more than any of the other parts of Frontier Doctor. What what was your favorite story within this four comic series? You know, I think it is a tie between this last one, Scapel, and the first comic, Weeds. Um, I really like the way that it deals with both of the issues that it brings up. Um, I like the way that it it's not hitting you over the head, making you think a certain way. It's just kind of presenting the issue like all of Star Trek does and um, asking you to come to your own conclusions. And, and then what it does as well is it kind of leaves you looking towards, okay, what can I learn from this about where I live today? And, of course, again, that's what Star Trek does the best. Um, and I just like the way that these two comics I think really challenge McCoy personally um, especially this last one Scapel. I mean this puts McCoy and his morality to the test um, and to the core of who he is and it, McCoy is not anything if but a very morally centered person um, especially when you see watch the original series um, McCoy is kind of the moral heart of this show. Uh, and so to have him face this quandary, I think was fascinating. Um, Chris, what were your, what was your favorite? I'll put it in two different terms. As far as a comic goes, I think that my favorite one was the first issue weeds because I felt like it did the best job of telling a complete story that was very true to Bones and doing it within the framework of that comic. And so if you simply want to read a comic that uh, has a deep message and really feels like a story about Dr. McCoy that has been lost, you know, in time, Star Trek, I think issue number one, Weeds, is my favorite. As far as the concepts and the big ideas that John Byrne has put into these comics very impressively. I think that number two, Error, and uh, number four, the second half, Scalpel, are my two favorites. Uh, I would love to explore those two issues more. I'd like to explore the whole religious aspect of the Tarsians and, you know, why they have this Holy Day, which happens to be named after the ship that they were all aboard when they crashed on the planet. Um, explore more about how this transporter technology affects their overall society, their interactions and such. And then in Scalpel, I would really love to explore the idea, the broader ideas that I think Alex was getting at, which was that he wanted Dr. McCoy to use that technology to influence, to go into the past and change things and influence the development, not only of Palfarlian Four, but of the broader galaxy and the Federation. He wanted him to affect the development of other worlds. That's what I took from it. And so from an idea standpoint, two and four. Well, and what this has made, and I think John Byrne will be very happy to hear me say this, but 
this really um, has cemented the fact that I'm going to be buying that collection of yeah, his uh, right. comics that is coming out because, you know, this is fantastic work. Um, to me, this is what makes Star Trek and um, Star Trek comics worth reading. Uh, this is the best representation I think I've seen of pure Star Trek at the heart. Um, and what a wonderful representation of Dr. McCoy as well. Um, proof positive of just really why I love this character. Uh, the fact that you could take him away from the Enterprise and have him work so well by himself. Um, yes, this this is the kind of thing I hope that Star Trek comics will continue to do in the future um, because this is as close to perfect as I've seen when it comes to Star Trek comics. And it really left me wishing that this series were longer than four comics. Um, you know, I think when I first saw this series, just looking at the covers, I think it's a little bit misleading. You know, you see Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor, and the covers kind of have this action feel to them a little bit. Um, I think that the covers can lead you to think that the stories might be a little simpler and a little more shallow, whereas what's actually inside the books is really, like you said, very true to Star Trek. It's it's really deep writing. It's excellent and great storytelling, and it makes you think. So um, if you've listened to this all the way through and you don't have these comics and you didn't heed the uh, spoiler warning at the beginning... Uh, still, we didn't give away... There, there's so much packed into here. There's so much that you can still read. Uh, you know, pick these up. I believe these are going to be bundled up in that John Byrne collection that's coming out, but they're also available right now from Comixology, IDW, Star Trek Comics app in digital form as four standalones and possibly as an omnibus as well. Pick them up. I mean, seriously, some some great comic reading. All right, Matthew, well, it has really been fun exploring Dr. McCoy and comics with you today. And I'm glad to see that we can dig deeply into comics just as we do novels and, and really have some of these great discussions that you and I have. Definitely, Chris. Um, I, I've been really enjoying getting into Star Trek comics this way. Um, with writing like this, uh, it just makes me want to read them more. Um, hoping that, you know, don't get let down um, because I, the bar has been set so high now. And uh, so, again, I will definitely be picking up John Byrne's collection that's coming out, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about some of those um, more in the future. But I really do, like you said, if you don't have these, please go out and get them. You will not be sorry. This is great stuff. Well, let's tell everyone how to contact us if they want to share their thoughts on Dr. McCoy, Frontier Doctor, or anything else we talked about in the news. Maybe uh, send us some of their cross-stitch patterns. Let's uh, tell them to go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. You can send a message to Literary Treks. That'll come to Matthew and me. Uh, you can actually now go over to trek.fm slash forums where we have new forums that we just launched this week. And there's a Literary Treks section there where you can also come and talk to us about the shows and the ideas that we discussed. 
You can go to Facebook and find us at facebook.com slash trekfm. And of course, on Twitter under username trekfm. Now, Matthew, what if people want to look you up personally? You can find me on Trek FM doing the book reviews, uh, as well as on the forums. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere in the social media world under the username C Brian Jones. That's Brian with a Y. Uh, Twitter is probably my biggest hangout. So, you know, hit me up over there on Twitter where I talk about Star Trek and music and sports ball, and Japan and all kinds of stuff all the time. And if you do follow me, send me a net reply and say hello. And uh, I, I love to chat. I don't necessarily notice everyone who just follows but doesn't talk to me because I'm, I'm really about interactions. So uh, look me up over there. Well, everyone, we want to thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we want to continue to thank you for reviewing us on iTunes. If you do have a chance, please do that so it'll help people find us on the strange inner workings of the iTunes store and how it recommends podcasts that does help other people find the show. Chris, you know how crazy it is. Which, after about two and a half years of, of podcasting, I still have no idea how that works. <laughs> So to the listeners, we say, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.